Hey, what's up, guys? So, welcome to week I've lost count officially, and we're just kind of going off of uh, shooting, shooting from the hip kind of deal. So, anyways, this week I'm gonna <laughs> I'm basically gonna be testing this out. So, as you know, or I guess like as the Apple people, Apple users know. I have this posted as like a comedy, and we're actually going to start doing that this time. So, <clears throat> here we go. It's our first thing. All right. So, as you guys know, um, I'm from Oregon, right? And I say things like, fashizzle. So, uh, you know, try to come off pretty confident. But the best part about being from Oregon is that we're already the most unique slash sort of weird people in the country. So everybody else looks super weird to us. And I'll kind of go into more in depth with this. So, for example, Utah is a totally different culture. Like, I've never seen potatoes prepared in so many different ways here. When people ask, where did you serve? They're asking in reference to, like, a mission, not, like, military. Like, oh, I served in Vietnam or Iraq. No, they're asking about, like, where did you serve your proselyting mission kind of deal. Took a little bit to get used to that. Uh, everybody says, like, holy guacamole. I mean, at least the people I hang out with, so maybe I'm just with the wrong crowd. But that, and you also have people that are over, like, 35 um, that know and recite Disney. I'll give you an example. So, like, one of the very first days that I came to Utah, uh, junior high, right, and I hear someone singing Part of Your World from Little Mermaid. Well, you know, I was at a wedding reception filled with a bunch of boring people. You know, the kind that like to say things like, check out this weather, it's so hot slash and or cold today. And then immediately going into showing, or immediately going into showing you something like pictures of their kids. Yeah, so when I heard somebody singing a Disney song, I got super excited that another kid was there. So I went hunting for him, looking around. When I finally found out who was singing, yeah, no. It wasn't some anime-looking Romney sort of teenager kid that I could get along with and hang out at a reception with. No, it was some 20-year-old something that was wearing Vans, a choker necklace, and some sort of, like, Stranger Things t-shirt. Yeah, this... Utah's a weird place. It takes some getting used to. However, there's, like, a bigger sort of thing that I guess I had to get used to that I didn't know about, and I'll explain this by telling you a story about my friend. So, I once had this friend named Brian. Uh, or Jamal, depending on what's easier to imagine. So, Brian Jamal was a smoker for X amount of years, and one day decided that he wanted to quit. But because it had been such a big part of his life, he adopted a coping mechanism of eating sunflower seeds at the time. And, you know, I think that's a totally Norman human cultural reaction, you know, right? Like, you have withdrawals, you do something to compensate for those withdrawals are like the temptation. Like if you quit Netflix, you do things like write letters or read to compensate. When you get out of a relationship, you, I, I don't know, like plant a tree or something. You know, if you quit polygamy, you start dancing on TikTok, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's different examples. But with Brian Jamal, it became obsessive. I mean, there were seeds everywhere. They were all over the ground, all over the tents, all over the van, all over the kids. I mean, like they were just everywhere. So finally I had to ask him, I was like, hey, Brian Jamal, could you maybe like cut it out with the friggin' seeds? Shrugs his shoulders, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. You're on a Costco watch list for buying them out of stock of spits, and you're going to tell me that it's not that big of a deal? And he shrugs his shoulders again. I don't know. I mean, 
Look at the people we hang out with. They have a lot of board games. And I had to think about this for a second. One, because it was probably the weirdest way of trying to justify this, like, criminal act of seeds everywhere. And two, like, well, I mean, he was right. So every group of friends in Utah literally has a closet full of board games. I mean, keep in mind, I barely have a full 52-card set in my junk drawer that's probably older than Jim Parsons and gets serviced just as often. And these guys have, like, full sets of games just chilling in their homes. And... First of all, I don't know how somebody pulls that off, but not only do they have these games, but they have what's called expansion packs. And for those of you who don't know what as an expansion pack is, an expansion pack is like an additional kit that you can purchase to make your game big enough to fit more people. So like Monopoly, I think, has four players. You can get an expansion pack for eight players. Uh, There's this really popular game here called Settlers of Catan. I think that allows for what four five people or something like that you can get the expansion pack to fit like more people and so on and so forth right it just keeps going and going and going so utah was the first place that i realized that uh there's an expansion pack for uno uno ladies and gentlemen can you imagine being on a date and using the phrase uno expansion pack now I don't know if that tugs on the heartstrings and makes somebody fall in love in the first sight, but uh, that's some hallmark material right there for you. And, see, dating in Utah is, is such a huge challenge. I mean, why? I don't, well, I don't think people actually know, but I think it has something to do with all the white people. Like, okay, let me explain it to you like this. Have you ever heard other, like, relationships speak romantically? I mean, Spanish people, right? You got, like, estoy enamorada. Oh, it's so beautiful. Or, like, French people, right? Like, esa que me be. Or even, like, Indians. You got, like, oh, Gilly, you look so cute tonight. I mean, these languages are just absolutely beautiful. I mean, each one has just this amazing way of articulating the true and passionate feelings of the heart into the spoken word. White people? Their version of romantic lyrics is like, Honey, you got me yoga pants. Or something like, An avocado. Thanks. And listen, if you're offended by like me making these jokes, just know that my best friends are whites, and so I'm allowed to make these words. It, or sorry, make these jokes. I'm allowed to make these jokes. Um, I'm also allowed to say the C word, uh, which, you know, cracker. So, ha ha ha. Anyways. To kind of make up for the Fabio-esque romance that's missing from, you know, our Anglo-Saxon race, we create things like Tinder to try to make up for it. Uh, Okay, so for those who don't know, Tinder is a dating app. You create a profile, write a little bit about yourself, something like, I love being outdoors, Netflix and chill is my fave, and holy guacamole, I love the new Little Mermaid. You know, you can make stuff up. And then um, you also add pictures to your profile. Um, Pictures are kind of like the whole name of the game. So once your profile is all set up, you get to start uh, matching with people. And this is sort of what it looks like. Uh, Oh, sorry, I forgot I'm on a podcast. So pretend you got your phone in your hand and you got like a finger... And you're, like, swiping against the, f- the screen of your phone. Like, you just move it left to right. Um, you know, kind of like reading, I guess. But, um, okay, sorry, let me back up. So, when you open the app, it shows the picture 
of someone of your preferred sex on the screen. I mean, not like not like position, but more of like male or female, like non-binary, homosexual, that kind of thing. Obviously, you can put your favorite position as like libertarian, democrat, undecided, whatever. But most of the time, it's confrontational, so like I try to avoid it. But if you think the person on the picture is attractive, you can click on the photo, and it'll show you a little biography about the person. Same as the profile that you set up. They are looking at the profile that you set up, and they're determining based on your pictures whether they think, whether they think you're an approachable and or handsome match for those of us who lived back in the 1950s. And then, you know, you, like, when you see their picture, you swipe right if you like them, and then you swipe left if they're ugly. Um, you swipe left if you don't like them. And, uh, I mean, it's awesome. But here's the problem. It doesn't actually match you up with your soulmate. What it does, however, is it helps really great photographers find each other. If you know how the word, sorry, if you know how to work the movie magic love, I mean, you can make anyone look attractive on the screen. On the flip side, Scarlett Johansson or Chris Hemsworth uh, would both get passed up left and right if their profile pic looked like Benedict Cumberbatch before CGI. So it really comes down to how you can do your camera work. Well, see, I had a friend that, that used to sort of look like the before CGI thing. Um, it, it was not the movie... Magic. He he was picturally challenged. All right, I'm I'm trying to think of like a better way to say this without like um, sounding like a jerk. So I'm just gonna lean into it. Anyways, so I had this friend who looked like this way, and um, well, okay. All right. When my friends get a or friends, when my kids get a hold of the pictures from one of us younger, they'll probably see this guy and ask how long I knew the yellowfish from Finding Nemo and why they're standing next to me. So. I don't know, just use that imagination to sort of fill in the dots. Anyways, um, he was one of the coolest friends that I had. I mean, there have been some others that have given me some good stories, which we'll save for next time, but for right now, we'll use this particular friend. So, um, uh, this friend is one that I met while serving my proselyting mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I know you've seen us before. We're the young guys and the, you know, white shirts and ties and... We go around knocking on doors, asking people to talk about the benefits behind not celebrating birthdays and avoiding blood transfusions. Uh, we're super fun at parties and almost always never cross people's personal boundaries. <clears throat> so my friend, uh, his name was Elder Glenn, and hilarious kid. I mean, looks kind of like a white penguin or the yellow fish from Finding Nemo, but... That's besides the point. Anyways, so we were assigned to a neighborhood that was kind of on more of the shaky side of, like, South Texas. We're in Houston, and there's this place called Fifth District or Sunnyside. It's got these, I, I don't know, like, projects down there. So, you know, there's a lot of, like, illegal activity going on. And, I mean, not the most family-friendly place, I guess you could say. Um but, you know, we'd run through this neighborhood on our bikes and just talk to people and you know, try to do the Lord's work. Anyways, so uh, first night, him and I were at the apartment together. You know, we're just sleeping like he's in his bed, I'm in my bed. And uh, 3 a.m., middle of the night, I just hear this like... And uh, I like sort of stir in bed. I look over and he's just 
chilling there, like stiff as board, just just dead, not moving. I was like, all right, that was weird. So you know, I try to go back to sleep, and then uh, at this point in time, I'm like, all right. So <laughs> we are on this like proselyting mission. A lot of these missionaries are superstitious and believe in evil spirits, and this noise is coming out of this guy that I'm supposed to be working with. Plus, nobody else is in the apartment, so I don't know what to do in this situation. Again, for the third time, just... and uh, yeah, so that's how that night went. The next morning, uh, I'm just in the kitchen eating breakfast, having my like bowl of cereal and stuff, and uh, here comes Elder Glenn, just comes walking out of the bathroom and gets cereal and sits down at the table, and uh, we just sit there, like in silence, for probably a long time. And after a minute, he finally goes, uh, man, last night my calves were cramping up so bad. Yeah, dude, um, did you know you were screaming in the middle of the night? This, this is what he hits me with. This is, yeah, I, uh, I didn't want to get up and disturb your sleeping, though. You, okay, you didn't want to disturb my sleep. Look, keep in mind, you can't just scream at 3 a.m. and just be sitting there like the sleep paralysis demon and think that it's not going to disturb my sleep. Like, you got to say something, dude, instead of me thinking that, you know, you've somehow sold your soul to the opposition and I'm like the first sacrifice that you're going to give to the other side of the uh, holy war. But, yeah, heart of gold, that dude. Like I said, one of my favorite friends. And totally innocent. You see, like, I'm a speed demon on a bike. I'm the guy darting in front of traffic, jumping over creeks, and swerving in and out of parked cars and people. I mean, bless his heart, Elder Glenn was trying so hard to keep up. I mean, he was, he was actually doing pretty good until this, like, one day. So, we're biking down this main street of Houston. The street's called Bissonette. It's a really weird name. I know. Uh, totally looks like any CSI scene where the detectives are walking around the hood, and Brian Jamal's are shouting, like, Hold my pocket! So, you know, shops are, like, lined up on either side, slam traffic, it's just constant screaming of, like, Hey! Hey! And so, you know, as we're biking down, I got a few feet in front of me are just people walking on the sidewalk, and I make a hard turn to the left, followed by another hard turn to the right, and I realized that this was kind of an aggressive move. So I kind of come to a stop, and look behind me to see how my elder Glenn had fared trying to do the same thing. And uh, he makes a hard turn to the left and whoosh, bike slides out right out from under him. And of course, by the time like I actually came to a stop and, and saw where he was, his feet were already up in the air like he was some sort of fail video from American Ninja and eventually slid to a stop. Now, here's the like, this this is how you know like God has a sense of humor. Before I could stop, before I could even get out there to help him out, <laughs> who who rushes to the scene? Who gets there to go help out my like ailing, sweet, beautiful Brian Jamal from Utah that is, you know, getting his first experience in the hood, but none other than the local prostitutes. Yep. They stood there all hunched over him like tied pants and all and just being like oh holy guacamole hey boo you okay oh my god oh my god hey sequatia sequatia he needs some milk 
and uh, you know, it was a huge. It, it was a learning experience for for both of us, for him, for me, um, and yeah, it's it's just little experiences like that that uh, you know make make the world worthwhile, and um, yeah, keep in mind. I mean, that guy's like married and stuff, so clearly he uh, doesn't need to be one of the good photographer people on Tinder. But that's not. I mean, that's not important. I mean, really. I think what's important is that I feel guilty about riding Fast and Furious style all around the south slums of Houston while trying to carry this, you know, poor little, like, Idaho potato boy behind me um, in hopes that he would keep up. Because, I mean, I guess you could say that was just a product of growing up in Oregon, you know? I mean, a daily commute where I lived, I mean, you, you, you felt like you were driving NASCAR. I mean, literally, there was this one day uh, I was driving home on this, uh, on this highway, right? And this is just this kind of small highway just going up through the streets back to where I lived. Nothing too crazy. But um, I stopped at a light one time, and it's like real nice and quiet. There's no other cars. It's like the very dead of the morning right before everybody's out and about. Fog's in. It's cool. It's crisp. And there's just that, like, tension in the air. I look to my left, I look to my right, and I just feel that a race is about to go on. I mean, maybe it's a race with myself or, like, you know, my dignity, but still, a race is about to go down. So I'm sitting there, I'm revving my engine, I'm like, <laughs> Well, I mean, I was driving a Subaru, so it was more like, but, you know, we tried. And, boom, the light turns green. As soon as it turns green, I slam my foot to the floor. I mean, I'm pulling forward like trees are whipping past. I see that needle climbing up the gauge as high as it can go. My adrenaline is pumping. Everything is just one big, unintelligible blur. Just trees are whipping past. I know that I'm right at the beginning of some sort of audition video for, you know, the next, like, rally racing for Red Bull or whatnot. And I look down at some speedometer and... 34 miles an hour. 34 freaking miles an hour. That's the thing with Orange. Like, everything is so locked in and tight that, yeah, you feel like you're flying down the road, but, uh, no, you're, you're only doing... And do you know, do you know who drives 34 miles an hour? Old people! Yeah. Do you know how I know that? Because guess what happens every time I have to pee when I'm driving? I get stuck behind an old person. And I know they can't help it. I mean, after the war, they kind of lose their sense of urgency. You don't need to have road rage when you have a mortgage that's less than the payment of a new car. But sometimes I just have these fantasies of them swerving off to the side of the road because then Parkinson's episode kicks in. Or they suddenly get hit with Alzheimer's and forget where they're going and they just like, you know, and slam into like a mattress factory or, or fall into a pile of pillows. And, you know, I, I know that's bad to say and it really doesn't matter how this fantasy plays out but really whatever it takes to get me to get home and and just and just pee you know oh my gosh sorry i probably shouldn't be as passionate or like worked up about this i just i don't know sometimes i get a little pangry when uh when i haven't peed in a while so that's sort of a nuance and i'll just move on to i guess my next topic because here's the thing right if you are gonna be an old person like, be a cool old person. You know, somebody with stories. Like, Dale, for example. 
right? Dale is one of the coolest old guys that I know because he has the most hilarious stories that I think I've ever heard of in my life. Check it out. So this one day, uh, he's hanging out with his brothers and sisters. This was back when he was a kid, back in like the old times and things were still in black and white. And, you know, Mel Gibson hadn't thrown the media off of their uh, pedestal or whatever. But his brothers and sisters were playing and they'd always like pull pranks on each other and they get in like wrestling fights and things like that. And apparently his brother had done something that just really upset him. And I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was something along the lines of like throwing him in a dryer and turning it on or getting rid of his favorite blanket or something along those lines. Um, so Dale trying to figure out how he was going to sort of get revenge for this, make restitution and whatnot, decides that he's going to use resources available. The resources that he had was an electric fence by their house because they had a neighbor who was a farmer, and the farmer had to keep the cows in the pasture, so he had the fence electrified. So Dale somehow strips this, this huge long thing of wire from one of the old electronics that they had and ties one end of it up to the electric fence and the other end to his brother's doorknob. <laughs> and he explains this to us, and, and then he just stops talking. He's just like, yep. And we're like, dude, what what happened? It was like, I don't know. It shocked him. And I don't know why, but that was like the funniest stuff that we had ever heard as seven-year-olds. And yeah, if you're going to be an old person, like definitely be one like that, which is like stories that you know, mesmerize you, make you feel like a better person. I don't know how an electric fence makes me feel like a better person, but it did, and I'm leaning into it, so we'll just go for it. And see, I mean, if you can't or you don't want to be a Dale, then, I don't know, be uh, be somebody like Bill. So Bill is a garbage man. Um, he's been a garbage man for, oh gosh, a long, long time. I mean, like decades upon decades, right? And... Um, even though, you know, he's, he's been a garbage man and he just goes around and collects garbages from, you know, the different businesses that contract out with him and things like that. Um, he has, like, religiously been able to take his family to Disneyland every year um, because he's, I, I think he had, like, two or three daughters. And uh, his wife actually got MS, like, a little bit either before or after the first daughter was born. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this was, you know, this is back in, like, I think the 70s or something like that. So, uh, I miss was a, was a pretty, it was, it was a big thing to handle. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something easy. Like, obviously, this was going to take a lot of patience and hard work and, and love and just all that jazz. So, the divorce rate for people with MS at the time was, oh, gosh, it was, it was something like 80 or 90%. I mean, it was way up there. And, I mean bless his poor wife's soul, she was like, listen, if, if you need to go, like, like you, sh you should go. I mean, I don't want this to be something that, that comes between us or that, that uh, you know, holds you back or, or pulls you down or something like that. Like, um, I'm giving you an out, basically. And Bill was like, nope, I'm not doing that. I promise to stick by you. I promise that, you know, when we got married, it was for better or worse. So guess what? We're stuck together. It's happening. And, uh, Hey, he's stuck with her. He's still with her. And they have an awesome family. But the story even gets better. Because it's not just his wife. But 
after the daughters, uh, they ended up having a son, which is something that Bill has been wanting for a while. You know, that's one of those like weird isms of the fifties is like guys growing up wanting sons to carry on the bloodline or something like that. I don't know. It's very like, uh, Eastern Asian kind of thing, but he got the son that he was hoping and praying for. And as it turns out, this son was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And again, this was back in the uh, 70s or 80s, something like that. So, you know, Down syndrome wasn't exactly like a well-known or rehearsed sort of uh, diagnosis. And most people ended up giving these kids away to like institutions and stuff like that. And so, again, the doctor like gave him out. And he was like, hey, uh, you got the son. He's probably never going to be like up to the level that most other kids are. And he's probably always going to have to be with you. And you'll always have to support him and that kind of thing. Or we can institutionalize him, right? Like we've done with, like, all these other uh, kids. And, again, Bill wouldn't have it. He, uh, he said, that's my son. He's coming home with me. And he did. He brought him home. He took care of his son. And, I mean, their, their relationship is, is really cool to watch. I mean, it's just cool to see how much love the dad not only has for his son, but that his son has sort of imitated and now gives to the rest of the family and the people around him and that's that's kind of old person that you know you and i should be if we were to strive to be an old person i mean love like that isn't that like fleeting hollow kind of tender love i mean that's the kind of love that sticks that's the kind of love that creates precious little moments that you can sort of look back on at the culmination of your life. And, uh, I don't know. That's a real kind of love. That's a true kind of love. That's the kind of love that I'm fighting for anyways. So, anyways, I know you guys are doing your best. Thanks for, you know, doing all that you do, and I appreciate you guys and all that jazz. So, yeah, have a good week.